As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. Today we're looking back on a weekend where the Serie A title race tightened up as Inter Milan put themselves back in the mix while Juve couldn't find a goal in their bag of tricks. Where Liverpool and Man City set up nicely for next weekend's big Premier League bout and Chelsea looked down and out when they suffered to a West London rout. Where RB Leipzig helped Bayern towards the title by giving Dortmund a beating, where Barcelona won their latest league meeting, and where Celtic were busy defeating a Rangers side whose field needed treating when broken glass was thrown from the seating. My name is Ryan Bailey. Joining me today is a man who's thankful for VAR preventing Man United's latest loss to Leicester. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, I'm thankful for anything that makes Manchester United even moderately good. Uh, Ralph Rangnick, chief amongst them. And I'm very thankful for that introduction, Ryan, because I spent four hours in the car with a screaming baby yesterday. And uh, your lovely rhymes are much more fun to listen to, I have to say. I mean, is it marginal? The How much more enjoyable they are? Oh, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like a wide gap. But, you know, right now, <laughs> at least, it's better. <laughs> Very nice. The uh, the VAR incident I'm referring to, of course, Taylor James Madison making it mm-hmm. 2-1 to Leicester in the game over the weekend, but it getting pulled back. Yeah. Um, unlike Raphael Varane, who didn't seem to be impeded in any way. Brendan Rodgers not no. super happy about that, apparently. Hmm. Who knows? Ah, it's all fine. Whatever. Manchester United need everything they can get. Come on, Lester. Be nice to them. It's fine. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Also joining us, Taylor, is a man who I'd written in my introduction is obsessed with New York Red Bulls corner set pieces. But now we have to talk about what we just talked about before we went in there. (laughs) His movie that he's seen. Hello, Joe Lowry. (laughs) Hello, Ryan. Why don't why don't you walk the listeners through all of this? Whew. Okay. So just before we went on air, listener Joe Lowry dropped a bombshell. He he's not one who has seen many uh, motion pictures. Is that fair to say, Joe? That is true. That is correct. And Continue. This past weekend, you selected a motion <laughs> picture. Um, which one was it, Joe? He said, "Hold on, I can't even. I have to interject before Joe can even say." He said it in a way that was like, "Guys." I saw a movie this weekend, and I was like, oh, is it like <laughs> The Godfather? True. Is it like 
Uh, is it like Raging Bull? Is it Goodfellas? You could see things that weren't Mafia or Martin Scorsese related. Who knows? And Joe, what was the film that you went with? Listeners, I need you to know, if I gave you 100 guesses, you are not going to guess the movie Joe is about to say. Okay, so I watched along with some friends. This was not my choice, but I, I did quite enjoy it. A Night at the Roxbury. And I thought, ladies and gentlemen, that Taylor was going to be proud of me. I thought that everyone was going to be proud of me because I, I don't watch I movies, really. And I, I just wanted to make it clear that I'd seen a film. And was I met with praise? No. No, I was not. I was met with scorn by Taylor Rockwell. I, 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 uh, I enjoyed a selection, Joe. Uh, I, I'm a fan of Will Ferrell's canon. I'm not sure that was where I'd start in the canon if I was going to... <laughs> get into his movies but you know i like hearing the anecdote about a meeting emilio estefez and nodding your head slightly to the side so i'm proud of you joe i am proud of you well done thank you ryan i'm, I'm working on an hr violation to, to report taylor for being mean to me but otherwise we're good I, by the way if and when total soccer show ever does he, have human resources part of it will be like okay you were mocked for a movie was it night at the roxbury that is in the corporate bylaws as being an yeah. acceptable thing <laughs> yeah, to make fun exactly. of people for i will write that in joe i will find a way you should you should taylor it is justified <laughs> the mighty duck man himself rounding out our packs the man who loves nothing more than a refreshing cup of sausage water as he watches a game <sighs> oh. is this right graham ruthven I mean, bo- I like Bovril, and Bovril is basically uh, meat water. There's no real difference there. I don't see a problem at all. I don't know what everyone's getting uh, Bovril? all hit up about. Once again, okay, Joe, uh, we'll clear Correct, up a few Joe. things Correct. here. <laughs> Firstly, um, l- listener, Footy Scran, the popular Twitter account, which seems to be most of mine and Graham's interaction with one another, is talking <laughs> about Footy Scran. Um, they put up a picture from Bodo Glimt in Norway. Um, the delicacy they were having in the stands was sausage water. That is the only description. It just looked like a very dirty coloured water in a in a coffee cup. That was it, right, Grant? I, I mean, yeah, it looked like Bovril. I do have questions over how how they extract the sausage water. Mm. Uh, are they boiling a sausage in water, or is it water that comes from the sausage? That is not something I ever thought I'd say on TSS. I mean, uh, on a recording, but yeah, I have questions over the the process, the, how how they make that. The thing is, Graham, you presented it online as you being on board with this. I mean, I like sausages and I like water, but never the twain shall meet in a cup. Surely. Again, Bovril. <laughs> Bovril is very popular and is basically sausage water. So. I'm in favor. I'll give it a try. I'll try anything. <laughs> First of all, uh, Joe Lowry in the group chat. This is your cane, Graham, with the photo of Bovril. Thank you, Joe. It for looks that. disgusting. It looks Correct. like meat jam. <laughs> Which is what why is that's what it is. I just want to reflect really quickly on the introductions here. Graham is mocked for a disgusting thing he likes to eat. Joe is mocked for a terrible movie he saw. <laughs> and I am mocked for the football club that mm-hmm. I support. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think those are all three and on the same level. So. Taylor. We get yeah. to all mock Ryan when we talk about the World Cup draw, when we talk Yay! about England. So it all, it all actually evens out here. Oh, okay, wow. I like that plan. I like that plan. All right, should we put hot ham water <laughs> aside for a moment and um, talk about the World it's Cup so draw? It's so watery, then? but with a <laughs> smack oh. of ham. <laughs> oh, my. All right, anyway, sorry. sorry. We are falling apart. We're barely five minutes in, gents. Why don't we talk? We're going to talk about plenty of games from the weekend, uh, not least Derby to Italia, Juve versus Inter Milan. We're going to talk about it in a bit and all of the European games and a little bit of MLS, of course, on top. Uh, but first, on Friday, we had the World Cup draw. If, listener, you did not check out the Bleacher Report live show, which uh, oh. these three fine fellas uh, took part in during the uh, draw, then we shall now listen to what they think of said draw. 
Um, the draw taking place in Qatar on Friday, of course. What, how about, Taylor, should we go through it group by group and sort of uh, yeah. shoot, shoot the breeze on it? Why don't we start with uh, Group A then? Hosts Qatar, one of the uh, teams in Pot 1 for their prestige, of course. Uh, they are joined mm-hmm. by Ecuador, Senegal and the Netherlands. Taylor, how do you like Group A? I like it a lot. It feels like a group that only would have existed in like a FIFA video game at, at various points throughout history. But I think it's really interesting for what the host country is going to bring. Joe talked about that a little bit on the broadcast, but they are a stronger team. They play a more cohesive style of soccer than I think might be expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we know Ecuador can be a very tricky World Cup team, even when they're not playing at massive altitude. Senegal, a very good team with Sadio Mane scoring goals and penalties as well. And the Netherlands potentially being very, very good, potentially also being the Netherlands and finding a way to finish bottom of this group. Uh, as Graham said in that show, though, Virgil van Dijk, being fit and ready to play probably makes a big difference for the Netherlands. The, the weird thing about this group is I presumed that on the broadcast, we didn't have this information. We didn't have the match schedule, but I presumed that as is the case with every other World Cup that I've watched, that Qatar, the host nation, would kick things off. The first game is actually going to be Senegal versus Netherlands, what? which is, go- is going to be peculiar. And it feels like Qatar, I mean, I don't know how sympathetic I am towards Qatar giving... Uh, everything points wildly around at everything around this tournament but it does kind of feel like they're being robbed of the the one big moment they might have at this tournament so that feels a little bit weird that uh, Senegal and the Netherlands will kick this tournament off although having said that that is a for me anyway a more entertaining interesting game than Qatar Ecuador which would have otherwise been the case. Graham is it it also unusual that there are four games on the opening day that doesn't usually happen does it? Uh, no absolutely it feels like and it's on a monday as well the first day of the tournament is a monday i always think the first game uh, first day of a major tournament is a friday with one game on the friday night um so that that is very peculiar i guess one thing we should mention sorry to kind of bring things down a little bit when we're talking about netherlands of course since our broadcast on friday um louis van hal has uh announced that he has uh he's been diagnosed with prostate cancer so Obviously, soccer is not something that is at the forefront of his mind at the moment, but it is uh, an unknown. I, d- I don't fully know what that means for for his tournament or for the Netherlands in that in that tournament. But I think um, we all wish Leuven Hal the best because that is that's terrible news. Absolutely, we do. Well said, Graham. Um, so yeah, that's Group A. Uh, I'll tell you who the second game is going to be. It's from Group B. It's England versus Iran. That's the second game of the tournament. Qatar are going third. Group B, Joe, England. Iran, the United States, UEFA path A winners, which could be oh. Scotland, Ukraine, oh. or Wales. Now, there is a lot of debate, Joe, about whether this is um, a tricky group for England or a difficult group for England or a tricky group for the US or a difficult group for the US. Where do you lay? Yeah, man, England came out strong with the papers about how easy this group <laughs> was going to be. And I think US, at least some US fans, have certainly been writing off really every team in this group. I think this is... Not the easiest group in this competition, nor do I think it is the hardest group. I think England, in a lot of respects, should be happy that they didn't draw one of the really dangerous European teams in pot two. They didn't draw the Netherlands. They didn't draw, uh, you know, Denmark, right? That would have been more challenging than the U.S. I I really do believe that. But the U.S., obviously, we know is is not going to roll over defensively. They're sound. It's a a strong U.S. team in a lot of ways if, if a flawed U.S. team, just like it is a flawed England team. So... I think those two teams, obviously the biggest names here, Iran, I was talking with a friend of mine who is uh, an Iranian-American, and he was giving me kind of the scoop on Iran. 
Um, they'll, they'll tend to sit a little deeper at times, which could be bad news for both the U.S. and England, to be totally honest. They have quality in the attacking line. It's going to be a fun thing to watch. But really, the, the biggest storyline here for us, gentlemen, is that this is the TSS group, right? We're, we're waiting on Scotland to do their thing hopefully, and do their job <laughs> and get into this Group B. If they're able to go past Ukraine and then to beat Wales, which is, is possible, it's not going to be easy for them, but they can do it. Then we have England, the U.S., and Scotland all in the same group in the World Cup. One of us is going to be very, very sad. Potentially two of us could be very, very sad after the group stage. But, man, we talked about this as if it was a, a pipe dream, and it sort of happened, which I think is just great. Yeah, I was watching the draw on Friday, and I couldn't believe that this is how the chips fell in this one. Um, Graham, what do you think of uh, Scotland's chances of being UEFA Path A winners? I've since realised that this draw is the worst thing that could have happened to Scotland. (laughs) (laughs) I'll explain why. Because we've got so much to be excited about with this draw. We've got England, who I know England are one of the tournament favourites, but I personally don't feel like, particularly after the Euros where we drew at Wembley, I don't think we're going to get blown off the pitch by England as we might have been by a a Brazil or or one of those teams, uh, even even a France. Um, And then we have the USA, and I think... All four teams in this group are entitled to feel like it's it's a group that they, well, obviously England will feel they can progress, but USA will feel quite good about the competition. I think Iran will feel quite good about the competition. And honestly, I feel like Scotland will feel pretty good about the competition. It's it's a feasible chance of getting out the group if we, if we, uh, if we qualify. We also have a game on the opening night of the tournament against USA if we qualify. So that is hugely exciting. Mm. Um but we're not even close to being being qualified. As you say there, Ryan, we've got two huge games against two good teams to get through. So it feels like we're being set up for a fall, not for the first time as a Scottish football fan. But if it comes to, to if it materializes, then yes, hugely excited about this draw. The TSS group of death, indeed. <laughs> uh, very exciting, I think it's fair to say. Indeed. I'm going to put my flag in the sand here and say I reject the narrative that this is an easy group for England, by the way. Lots of, as Joe says, lots of the uh, newspapers in the UK were painting this as an easy one. I saw um, Barry Glendening from The Guardian painting this as a very easy one, uh, expressing annoyance that this was easy for England, but I just think there's plenty of stumbling points here. And I also, yeah. looking at the other groups as a pot one team, I, I'd say Group C, D, G, maybe even H would have been easier prospects for England than this. Taylor, what what do you think about that? Yes, and sir. also, with the United States in this group, I'm going to posit to you that the United States have one of the better groups from CONCACAF teams. Mexico, got Argentina and Poland in their group. Uh, Canada, have got Belgium, Morocco and Croatia. That's a really tricky one. And if Costa Rica go through, Spain, Germany and Japan in their group. So I would say the US could be pretty happy with what's been dealt there. Yeah, I think so. I think this is, I believe I saw it written, statistically like one of the hardest groups, Group B. Yeah. That each team has has like pretty strong results in qualifying, uh, pretty high FIFA coefficient rankings. So it is a, a trickier group than I think might be expected. And then especially when you add in, like if it's Scotland, if it's Wales, I'm going to assume that is a game that either one of those teams is going to be up for playing England. Iran, I would assume, will be up for playing the United States and vice versa. I think there's going to be so much of interest in this group. And then it shouldn't matter, but it kind of does, the timing of some of these games. Maybe maybe this has been missed, or maybe if people haven't seen it, the one that's worth noting, England-USA, Black Friday. The day after Thanksgiving, we're getting uh, England versus the United States, 
which feels historically mildly appropriate. But I'm just really excited uh, for this group for the United States to be in there with England, potentially with Scotland. Uh, Graham, I really need your boys to do a job because that could be a super fun tournament. But even if they don't, I guess that means Graham will be our Iranian correspondent if Scotland don't come through. <laughs> I mean, I have written about uh, Asian football before. So yeah, I'll just resume that that gig. Excellent stuff. Perfect. Group C, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and Poland. Uh, Graham, how do you feel about that group? So say that that group again there, uh, Ryan. Sorry, I missed that. Argentina, Saudi Arabia, Uh Mexico, Poland. Yeah, so that that is an interesting group as well. Argentina, I think they're stronger than they have been at previous World Cups. They seem to be giving Lionel Messi a bit more support. I really like that midfield unit with Giovanni Lo Celso, Leandro Paredes. So I think they're a strong team. Saudi Arabia are maybe the the wild card in this group in that they had a very strong uh, Asian qualification qualification campaign, but obviously maybe a lot of players there that we're, we're not overly familiar with, the players that we don't watch all, all that much. So it feels like they are maybe a stronger team than many many would give them credit for. And then maybe Mexico and Poland are battling for that, that second spot. We've obviously covered on the podcast how Mexico have had a, a pretty... Um, strange qualification campaign they still finished hmm. second in the Ocho in, in CONCACAF qualifying but a lot of questions about Tato, uh, Tata Martino and the direction the, the team is heading in under him and then Poland I watched them recently when Scotland played them at Hamden obviously it was a friendly so not too much to be read into it but I didn't feel like they were a terribly strong team I've been burned before by uh, thinking Poland are going to do well at major tournaments most recently at the Euros where they did not hmm. um, but of course they've got a certain Mr Bobby Lewandowski who might be the best player in the world right now, so you can't really discount them either. Indeed. Uh, Joe, Group D, France, uh, the AFC Condable playoff winners, which will be Peru and the fourth round AFC winner to be determined. Denmark and Tunisia. That's an interesting one. It is, and this this group really does feel to me like it will be the two European teams advancing. Peru is probably the wild card. I don't know how likely it is for Tunisia to move on, but this is a repeat in a lot of respects of 2018, where I believe France and Peru and Denmark were all in the same group. So this will be a, this will be a fun one. I think maybe some nightmares for Peruvian fans. I have some good friends who are, are Peruvian, and they weren't all that thrilled about this draw. But I don't think we should be writing off any Conmebol team in this competition. I think there's a lot of talent there. So, yeah, I mean, Ryan, just another in a long list of groups, eight of them, in fact, that I am very much looking forward to seeing. Yeah, Joe, I love how international your friendship group is, by the way. Do they all watch Will Ferrell movies with you? Uh, no, that's that's a select few, Ryan, uh, I guess. We, we save the good ones for, for specific people. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, Group E. <laughs> we've got Spain in there. We've got Germany. We've got uh, Japan. And we have the winners of the CONCACAF OFC playoff, which will be Costa Rica, or mm-hmm. New Zealand. Spain versus Germany sounds pretty tasty on the middle fixture, Taylor. It does. It's one of those similar to uh, Mexico and Argentina playing on the second match day for the group. I think that's such an important thing because that first day, it can be nervy. You're not quite sure what you need. You don't want to start off with a loss, so you're kind of okay with the draw. The second game is where you you kind of know what the group's shaping out to be you know you need to get the results you're not at the risk of a dead rubber game with that third game so I think to get Spain and Germany on that second day uh, is going to be just so so fun Uh, but we know Japan can be a really challenging team can spring surprises and have plenty of talent and then that Costa Rica team if it's the older Costa Rica team maybe that's not great but the younger one that beat the United States they seem like they could be up for anything including getting past New Zealand and then maybe causing an upset at the World Cup and I would enjoy that immensely Uh, and yet somehow uh, if if past is precedent 
Kaylor Navas will still be still be substituted out and not get any of the credit for the result. <laughs> Graham, Group F, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, and Croatia. How do you fancy Canada's chances here, Graham? I actually had them. I had to do predictions for uh, Sport News on the on the day of of the draw. I had them in second place in this group, which may be slightly optimistic, but. I understand that people would look at Belgium and Croatia as the two heavyweights in this group, and that is that's probably probably accurate. But I think Croatia are an aging team. I don't think they were terribly impressive at the the Euros, apart from the game they played against Scotland. That was the one good game they played, unfortunately. Um, and Bel- even Belgium, I know they're the second ranked team in the world right now, but I still have doubts over. Uh, Roberto Martinez as as the coach, and this feels like a make or break tournament for this golden, this so called golden generation of of, of Belgian players. And they are getting on. Are they still allowed to be called that? It's been a long time now, hasn't it? (laughs) It has. It has been a long time. It's becoming more of a sort of bronze generation. Yeah, but they they still have a lot of good players. They just all tend to be kind of close to their thirtieth birthday or or into their thirties now. So. Canada, we've seen that throughout CONCACAF qualifying, they will make it difficult for opposition teams to play against them. They've got a, a lot of young talent. I'm looking forward to seeing, obviously, the big names, Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and, and so on at, at a, a tournament, which wasn't a given. Maybe we didn't think that was going to happen before CONCACAF qualifying. So I think um, Canada have got a decent chance of getting out of this group. But it, w- it will be a challenge, of course. It will indeed. Uh, Joe, Group G. Brazil, Serbia, Switzerland, and Cameroon. I kind of fancy Brazil to take this whole gosh darn thing. How do you feel about this group? Yeah, they they might take this whole gosh darn thing. This is, I believe, according to the ELO ratings, the most challenging group. And before we'd even seen that, Graham and Taylor, we kind of labeled it as such on the BR show. Or, you know, shoot, wow, what day was that? Friday, goodness gracious. Brazil, I think, are incredibly strong. Graham, you talked about how Serbia have a lot of attacking talent and a lot of just talent in general in that team. Switzerland are a very good international side. They're certainly more than just Shakiri And Cameroon, they've got Nuhu. Really, what else can you ask for? They also have Ikambi <laughs> and, and some talent in midfield. We've seen this team play recently. We, we watched a good bit of them at uh, AFCON, and, and I've seen some bits and pieces of them in CAF qualifying. All four of these teams are very, very capable. It really wouldn't surprise me if any of the four moved out of this group. Like, I could see it being Brazil and Serbia. I could see it. I mean, I, I would expect Brazil to move on, but really any of those other spots seems up to uh, up for grabs to me. Yeah, it seems like Brazil has certainly got a lock on at least one of those spots, surely, Joe. I mean, it seems that way, Ryan. But, man, I mean, I, I talked about in that BR show, tournament soccer is the great equalizer. It's the great leveler. So many chaotic things happen Soccer is is unpredictable in so many different ways. So, I mean, it, it feels like Brazil on talent certainly will advance, but it's not just about talent. Indeed. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, Group H or Group H, if you are Jermaine Genis doing the draw in Qatar, Bloody. is Portugal, Ghana, Uruguay, and South Korea. I say, Taylor, that I like Brazil to go all the way, but I feel just as much that Portugal could poop house their way through this thing too. I mean, that does feel like it would be on brand. I think with Portugal, it's one of those, they have so much talent that how do you make sure it all fits and then fits well against teams that I think are going to be really difficult to play against. It's a hard fighting, but still technically talented Ghana. It's an obviously uh, technically capable goal scoring Uruguay. And then for me, at least, I will hold my hands up and say, it's a South Korea team that I am less familiar with than I think I've been with uh, Korean teams historically. There there are the names in there. There's Hwang Hee Chan, there's Son Hyung Min, but it's a very domestic team, even with a ton of experience behind it. And this is why I love the World Cup is as we do our in-depth previews for each team, which we will do once again, we go through category by category. 
it's a team that I think we'll find out a lot more about, about individual players or young players or older players that maybe we haven't gotten to see because they've stayed in Korea or they play in Japan or they play in Qatar. They've got uh, uh, lots of different players on this roster, and I think it's it's just going to be a really fun team to learn more about, and I think that goes for many other teams in this World Cup. And with that said, yeah, I think Portugal probably feeling pretty good about their chances to make it out. Indeed. All right, gents, that are, those are the groups, I should say. Uh, we're, we're running long on this one. We've got a weekend to talk about, so I'm going to go around the horn with one more question for all of y'all. How far do the US go, and who wins this whole gosh darn thing? I will go first. I think the US get to the quarterfinals, and I think Brazil will win. I think US and England get out of Group B. Graham Ruthven, how do you feel? Round of 16 for the US and Spain will win the whole thing. Spain. Ooh. Taylor? Uh, I'll, say, I'll say they'll make it. So to, to get to the quarterfinals means you make it out of the first round, right? Yes. Yeah, that would be five total games, yeah. So if we finish runners up, yeah, that's going to be tough. That's going to be real tough. I think we make it to at least the knockout round, but if they're runners up in Group B, they're likely playing the winners of Group A, which would be the Netherlands, I think. So that could be tough. Mm. Uh, in terms of who could win it all, I think maybe just because I haven't, like, the Euros feel like they were 20 years ago, even though they were not. It feels like I'm less familiar with a lot of these teams than I than I have been previously. So without much confidence behind it, I'm going to say Brazil. Let's just go with the easy one. I think Ryan's got an idea. I like the idea of Brazil winning it uh, away from home, but still not winning in Europe, so they don't get credit for that. There you go. There you go. And by the way, for the round of 16 game, which I think the US has got through, I'm kind of thinking they might play Qatar there because I think Qatar might be stronger than we think. We'll shall see. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Joe, finally, your voice of reason. Uh, I I want to say that the U.S. won't make it out of the group just so that I feel joy if and when go. they do. But I'm going to say they, they make it to the round of 16 and they lose there. And I'm going to say, Ryan, that England are going to win this whole darn thing. Say that again, please. Joe. One more time. I reserve the right to change this Joe. opinion at any time. But for now, I will say that Joe. England will, will win the World Cup. I don't want to be are you doing? I don't want to be a copycat and say Brazil or Spain. Graham, I was literally thinking Spain as well. But I think... England with how they play so you, as, so you as fed boring the monster? as it is. So you yeah. fed the monster. Why that was would your you solution. give them that? Sorry. <laughs> Just kidding. I meant Argentina. That's better. Yeah, Ar- Argentina. Yep. Well, Messi and everyone. Uh, that's the Total Soccer Show for today and for the time being until November when we'll be back uh, for the coronation ceremony of England's World Cup win. Thank you very much, Joe Lowry. Uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's the World Cup uh, groups uh, sorted and our predictions made. They have been set in stone. Why don't we take a quick break and when we come back we'll talk about the weekend's action. But Taylor, you're going to uh, jump out at this point. I believe you've got an appointment viewing of A Night of the Roxbury to get to. Yeah, I mean, I think Joe's maybe want to go revisit it. Uh, I also want to abandon this show as Ryan makes more references to inning, winning the World Cup. So, yeah, I'm going to go watch Night at the Roxbury. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more. Was the point of the movie that there was a nightclub outside and the, 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 and the inside yeah. looked like the outside and the outside looked like the Genius. inside? Yeah, Genius. Yeah. I, I no longer remember trigonometry, but I believe the plot was oh. that they would like to open a nightclub in which the indoors is like outside themed yep. and then the outside is indoor themed and they want their father, who's a florist, to pay for it. That's it. I have not seen this movie since high school. Once again, I don't remember math. They were That was right on. They were calling ahead to the living walls that are in every kind of nightclub and bar currently in the USA. I think they had ahead of its time. On. Ahead of Truly. their time. All right. On that note, we're going to take a very quick break. Thank you very much, T Rock. When we come back, yes, Europe- uh, European and USA weekend action back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to Italy and to the Derby d'Italia. Juventus nil, Inter Milan won. Inter potentially killing Juve's title race here if indeed they ever were in it this season. Inter, meanwhile, putting themselves right back in it. 63 points um, with three three points behind Milan who play this very day later after we record. Uh, Juve are now four points behind. A big, big statement win from Inter here. Um, Joe, I would like to come to you for your overall thoughts on how this game went down. Juve had 23 shots to Inter's five. The feeling, the sentiment I got, and I think that many other people had, was that they were not, I don't say unlucky to lose, but they had so many chances they didn't take. Basically, they played well, but somehow came away with zero points. Yeah, that's absolutely the the main theme from this game. Juve dominated Inter, who I thought were extremely poor in this game. There's still some fun things that they do, and, and might get to that later, but Man, Juve was all over them from the start of this game. They were aggressive in the press. They were winning the ball high. They were creating a ton of shooting chances. They looked confident and aggressive. And I mean, just everything about what they were doing on the field, I liked. The only thing that I didn't like is that the ball wasn't finding the back of the net for Juve. I mean, that is that is absolutely the story of this game. But Ryan, that is the kind of stuff that happens in soccer, right? You'll go through and you'll create a bunch of chances and it happens to every team in the world. And, and some days they just don't go in, right? I mean, some days you don't score goals to to really reward yourself for finishing the chances. If every team did that or if there was a player out there that could convert every chance, then they would be worth a billion dollars. And I'm not exaggerating, right? This is the stuff that we would see if there was someone that could do that. Juve couldn't do that in this game. I don't think it's necessarily an indictment of how they played. I bet you that Allegri is in large respect, really pleased with how this game went. I thought this was one of the best performances I've seen from Juve all season, and conversely, one of the worst performances I've seen from Inter all season. But still, as you said, certainly a statement win for them that keeps them involved in the title race. Hang on, let me dig into that worst performances from Inter comment, Joe, because I I can kind of see what you mean. But, you know, Perisic was amazing. Barella had a really good game. He's showing his inner Modric for most of it. Skriniar was keeping Blavich, you know, well in his pocket for a lot of it. What, What was so bad about Inter? I mean, they just didn't create much of anything. The goal they get comes from a a weird penalty and then chaos and a retaken penalty. That was an insane moment in first half stoppage time where we got to enjoy 10 minutes of first half stoppage time. It was a wild (laughs) sequence. But I mean, they they didn't create any chances, really. I mean, they had some, but they were half chances. And I agree with you, Ryan. Barella was very, very good. He's good all the time, at least at certain things in terms of ball progression. Perisic is always going to be dangerous to an extent on that left wing. But they looked hopeless trying to play through Juve's press for large stretches of this game. They were too stagnant in build-up. There wasn't enough movement in behind. They did eventually have some success progressing the ball. But even then, like I mentioned, they weren't creating chances. So I don't, I don't know. For an Inter team that, is, that has been probably my favorite team to watch in Italy this season, this didn't look like the same comprehensively progressive, dangerous attacking team. It just didn't look like 
them. And I think they've certainly fallen off over the last month and in change of the Serie A season. It was it was definitely a weird game. I think I think we can all agree on that. And I actually find this discussion really interesting because it, it feels like we've all got different v- views on how Inter and Juventus played. So Ryan, I, I actually thought Perisic had a had a pretty poor game. I agree on Barella and, and Skriniar, who was also at, uh, very strong at the back for for Inter. Joe on the first half, I I completely agree. I thought Inter offered next to nothing. I thought Juventus were completely dominant. I thought Dybala looked lively. Vlavic was occupying Inter defence. He looked sharp. I thought Juventus were doing a really good job of neutralising Dumfries and and Perisic. Um, Second half, I felt like they kind of run out of ideas a little bit and we saw a little bit more of Inter. So I wouldn't say in the second half they they were useless. I thought Barella was doing a really good job of progressing the ball to kind of relieve a bit of pressure. As I mentioned, their Skriniar uh, already, he seemed to get more and more um, comfortable with dealing with Vlavic. There was a couple of times when he was on the edge, when he was on thin ice and he was kind of barging into the back of Vlavic and I thought he was very close to giving away a penalty or a free kick in a dangerous position a couple of times. But it, it was a strange match. I thought Juventus, particularly in the second half, were slightly negative with some of their their attacking passing attacking passing and I, I thought they lacked creativity in the wide areas Quadrado was the only person who was kind of giving them that and I think that will be a key area for them going into the summer is they need to find some some wingers obviously Chiesa has been injured for a lot of the season and they have they have missed him desperately they missed him in this game I thought in particular so it was a weird game I, I struggled to draw any sort of solid conclusions from the full 90 minutes because I thought it, it there were different waves and at different points of the match I thought teams were doing things well and then at other points they were doing things badly but I do feel that Juventus were pretty unlucky certainly to lose this match if they picked up a point you maybe go well they, they didn't take their opportunities but to lose it, it was was harsh on them um, Graham I watched this game in a restaurant in Rome um, a packed out restaurant on a Sunday night I should say or, uh, presumably people were coming out because there was a Roma game beforehand as well would you like to guess what kind of restaurant it was uh, it wasn't a hard rock cafe, was it? Please it, tell me. It, it was an American themed diner. Uh, no, no regrets, no regrets. Uh, but the point I was going to make there was it, it was interesting watching how the fans who had no horse in this race uh, uh, interpreted this game and a lot of them mm-hmm. sort of groaning and tutting I was hearing. And it made me think if I was comparing this game to the context of a Premier League game, I was thinking, what if these two teams were in the Premier League and I was looking at what was happening, unfolding on the screen? It felt like it was a lot slower, I would say. And I don't know if it's fair to say there was a lot, just a lot more errors from both sides. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I'd watched Manchester United the day before. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure they're any better than, than either of these two teams. That's fair enough. Um, it, the, I get what you're saying. Like, if you look at the Champions League, obviously, there's no... Am I right in saying there's no Italian team left in the yeah. Champions League? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's not in the, cha- uh, in the quarterfinals. All the Italian teams have been knocked out. So maybe the, the quality of the of the top Italian teams right now isn't isn't the best it has been historically. But frankly, when you look at the drama of this Serie A title race, I, I don't really care all that much. That's uh, just, it's very dramatic and exciting. Even this game, I thought, even though the quality was poor in, in certain at certain points, I thought it was exciting. I found it gripping for the for the full 90 minutes. One player I have to mention, just because I don't think I've ever seen him play well in my whole life before, um, who actually had a good game was Adrian Rabio. Yes, um, he was so good, Graham. He was, he was really good. good. Um, and Juventus needed him to be good after they lost Locatelli in the first half to, to injury. He comes off with an injury and is actually in tears as he, as he comes off. And I read um, someone tweeting that he'd been talking about how these games had been the, the games he'd looked forward to playing in his whole life um, growing up. So that was that was a bit of a shame. But losing Locatelli meant, meant that Juventus lost a lot of 
forward thrust and that put the onus on Rabio to be that player and he did that generally pretty well I mean he was he was everywhere he was putting in tackles he was driving the ball forward he was creating some overloads he was he was pretty good uh, and that's a player that I have not always been a big fan of and I've not always got I don't really understand why he's played for these big teams you know for France the national team and he's played for PSG and Juventus I don't fully understand that but maybe this is the sort of player that his coaches see in training and we don't see as often in matches I thought he was I thought he was brilliant yeah I agree a standout performance from Rabiot and by the way uh, Mrs Rabiot his mum Graham doesn't mean all that he didn't mean that at all Um, but Joe what was the best (laughs) thing about Rabiot for you was it the the marauding forward the the getting stuck in the the, the great passes and, and, and the forward play or was it the own goal he rifled into the net at about 100 miles an hour for that very strange penalty situation which was absolute chaos yeah so that whole sequence was bonkers so i'm gonna try and walk people through it the best that i can in in this show right here so denzel dumfries draws a penalty on the edge of the box on the right side so he he wins the ball back right in that space and Murata brings him down just on the outer corridor there he's he's almost outside the box but he, he's just inside out sandro's in that area as well and it's, it's rule of penalty, okay? So Inter go up to take the penalty. It's Chalinolo who takes it. Chesney saves it. The ball ends up in the back of the net after some weird chaos, and it hits Rabio <laughs> and, and Chalinolo's crashing, and he comes in really hard, and at first maybe the ref whistles a foul. We're not really sure what's going on, but it seems like the penalty's getting retaken, and, and it's just chaos, pure chaos. I've said it a hundred times at this yeah. point. We don't really know what's going on. Dre Cordero and, and Bonetti don't really know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. Eventually, we realize that the ref rules a retake because Matthias Delict, I believe, encroached in the box and, and was involved in the play in some respects in that scrum, that chaotic scrum. Mm-hmm. So they, they take it again, and this time it's a good penalty from Chalinolu. The first one was was not very good at all, but this time he puts it in the corner really hard to, to the bottom left and into a score, and it's it's 1-0. We end up again, as I said earlier, with 10 minutes of first half stoppage time. That's how long all of this took to sort out. I've never seen anything like this before. I feel like I've watched a lot of soccer. I've, I've never seen something happen in this exact way, this exact sequence of events. So that was all, all wild to begin with. And for me, this initial penalty, the Dumfries one, was a reminder of how unjust some of these penalty kick rules are, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time it feels like, okay, you get brought down and, and maybe you're brought down by the last defender and it's a red card inside the box. That makes sense to give a penalty, right? Because you were going to do something similar on in open play if, if you weren't brought down. But in this sequence, man, how many times do we see teams possess the ball on, on either side of the box out wide and, and a shooting chance never comes from that, right? We see yeah. that all the time. Not to say that it's impossible, but it's, it's overvaluing where Inter had the ball in that moment. And that's not Inter's fault. That's just how soccer works. But it, it is a reminder for me of how... Uh, overpowered some of these penalties can be for teams and it's certainly worked in Inter's favor here even with all of the the wild scenes going on inside the box the uh, the, the chaos around the the retaking penalty was classic VAR refereeing for me where that ball ends up in the back of the net and the referee blows his whistle and I'm convinced he doesn't know what he's blowing his whistle for there but there's enough chaos that he's made a calculation that there's got to be a foul somewhere or an infringement somewhere. And so he's just blown his whistle to give himself and the VAR officials a bit more time to look at it on on a screen. And then they spot the lift uh, infringing in, in the box. I, I'm, I'm with you, Joe, as well on the penalty. I, I thought it was a soft penalty award in, in the first place, to yeah, be honest. And it's one of those yeah. subjective calls for a referee where you have to decide whether contact 
Because let's not forget, soccer is a contact sport. Not all contact in the box equals a penalty, and you have to decide whether that contact has been enough to, to bring down the player. I personally felt it wasn't enough, but that is the decision that the referee made. Indeed. Well, moral of the story, Graham, Juve had to take their chances and they didn't. We had, you know, world's worst human Giorgio Chiellini hitting the bar in the first half and <laughs> plenty of other chances they didn't take. So uh, one thing, one more thing on this game, Graham, um, on CBS's uh, post-game coverage, they made the they made the point that this is Inter's title to lose now. And I don't quite agree with that because yeah. I think when it's your title to lose, that means you're winning and ahead. You're, you're in your head of everybody else, which <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not. Um, so who who do you, who do you fancy if you had to pick, and how how do you see this title race playing out? I mean, it's the boring answer, but Milan are top, so I'm going to go with Milan. I think yeah. Joe and you, and was it you in the in the in the pre podcast notes said that there's no more matches between the top four? Yeah, is that yeah, correct? that's that's yeah, correct. So. so I went through the schedules, and the only match I think there's one Coppa Italia match between two of them, but there's no league games between Milan, Napoli, Inter, and Juve. So this really is, for me, Milan's title to lose as they're yeah. in the pole position right now. Yeah, I mean, to be to be perfectly honest, given that Inter weren't particularly impressive in this game and how they'd only won one match in seven before this game, I have them very much as third favourites for this title. Napoli with uh, Osimhen, they get a win over Atalanta at the weekend, a good, uh, an impressive win, and they've been in good form recently. So I certainly think between Milan and Napoli, it's, it's an active title race. Mm. I, I don't see it as Inter's title to lose, I have to say. Indeed. Well, that was a cracking game from the weekend. A uh, little bit more from Serie A. Atalanta won the aforementioned Napoli 3. Napoli, as you say, Graham, in second place. Did you see the second goal, the Insignia free kick to Politano, Graham? It was chef's kiss. Yeah, and that is what Insignia is, uh, is capable of. TFC fans have got that to look forward to yeah. halfway through the MLS season. Yeah, coming coming to a, a Canadian stadium near you. Where Ronaldinho was at Toronto this weekend, by the way. Uh, really? Yeah, he, he was on the field on before purpose? the game. Did you see that, Joe? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. Him and Dero. That's right. It's pretty random. Anyway, uh, also on in Syria, we had uh, Sampdoria nil Roma 1 on Sunday night before that Derby d'Italia game. Uh, Mkhitaryan with a goal. We had... Some of the best poop housery I've ever seen in this one, gents. I don't know if you caught this. Uh, Lorenzo Pellegrini was uh, being subbed off in the 92nd minute with Roma 1-0 up, of course. Um, he, he started slowing his walk. He started taking off his shin guards, pulled his socks down, and then started undoing his, his, his cleats while on the field. And he was booked for it. And then it later work, uh, transpired that this was a Jose Mourinho special. He was one yellow away from suspension. So this this way, he's going to miss a game against Salernitana, who are getting relegated, instead of potentially missing uh, you know, a big, a big game against Napoli or Inter. So Mourinho doing Mourinho things once Classic again. Classic Jose. Classic Jose, indeed. Yeah. He's, he's up to all his old tricks, apart from you know winning trophies and titles. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and talking of winning trophies or titles, uh, as we record, Milan will play uh, tonight. They got a chance to go three points clear against Bologna. Why don't we take a very quick break here, guys? When we come back, Premier League, MLS, Old Firm, and much more. Stay tuned. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League. Liverpool 2, Watford 0. Jota and Fabinho um, getting the goal. Fabinho getting goal from the spot there. The 10th consecutive Premier League win for Liverpool. Klopp's 250th game in charge as well. Uh, they went top of the league, did Liverpool, before Manchester City played later in the day. And Man City getting a 2-0 win at Turf Moor against Burnley. That, Graham, is City's 10th win in a row against Burnley. And I'm annoyed it wasn't 5-0 because isn't it like a tradition that they win this game 5-0, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it was funny because obviously Liverpool traditionally thump Watford as well. And City were against Burnley, who they also traditionally thump as you referenced there and City were so far uh, they were ahead so early in this game that by the time Jurgen Klopp had sat down at his press conference following Liverpool's win City were already winning and Jurgen Klopp sits down and he says something to the effect of well that's just eliminated one of your questions <laughs> from the from the press conference Liverpool obviously as you say go top of the table um, with this win over Watford but it was very very short-lived because City made easy work of Burnley just soon after as the three o'clock kickoff. Indeed. And those two results leaving the title race delicately poised, of course. And Liverpool meeting Manchester City next Sunday. Oh we'll be reviewing that on the weekend review. Oh boy, indeed, Graham. Uh, and, one... and, and, and sorry to interrupt, we'll also be doing live pre- and post-game shows in the BR app for that game. So come come see our faces and hear our voices. Nice. Pats for Joe for getting the promo in. Well done, Joe. Um, yes, indeed. Looking forward to that next Sunday. Leeds 1, Southampton 1. Jack Harrison getting a goal offset by a James Ward-Prowse free kick because James Ward-Prowse does free kicks. That's what he does. Uh, Southampton ending a streak of three straight losses and stopping Leeds from winning three in a row under Mr. Marsh. Uh, Graham, Chelsea 1, Brentford 4. A scoreline. We call that a coupon buster, don't we? Didn't see that one coming. Uh, Brentford first win over their West London neighbours since 1939 uh, they're about four miles apart geographically for a bit of context between these two sides three goals in 10 minutes in the second half for Brentford um, and Christian Eriksen's first goal in Brentford colours as well Graham yeah uh, one of the most surprising results of, of the Premier League season so far mm. and uh, I think you're right to, to highlight Christian Eriksen obviously there's going to be some focus on on Chelsea I'm not entirely sure how to explain what happened to them in this match. Their defending in the second half was pretty abysmal. But I do think Brentford deserve a lot of credit for how they played, particularly after falling behind. Rudiger actually scores the first goal of this game to put Chelsea 1-0 up a, a, a strike from 40 yards, which is the longest or the furthest out uh, Chelsea Premier League goal since 2015, apparently. Um, but yes, Eriksen, what a player he is. And, and I know his, his return has been a great story and initially it was all about sentimentality, but it feels like now the story has become him reminding us all how good he can actually be and how much of a coup that is for Brentford that they've actually they've managed to get him. He just looks brilliant. And until Eriksen's arrival, I thought there was a chance obsession teams 
would were figuring out how to play against Brentford, but he's given them something different. He looks to have struck up a, a relationship with Mbwemo really quickly and with Ivan Tony as well, who seems to have found a little bit of form again. So he's slotted very, very well into that team and Brentford yeah. now are kind of looking up the tables, up the table, whereas a few weeks ago they were looking down. Yeah, looking like they're getting out of trouble indeed, Graham. And just some tragic, tragic defending from Chelsea, as you say there. The, well, the, the Ericsson's goal, they just let him run free. They're on uh, Brentford on the break. No one getting near Ericsson to, uh, to, to get his goal in there. And, you know, the fourth goal, it just looked like Chelsea completely given up. So yeah. not quite sure what was going on with Chelsea there. Uh, Man United won, Leicester won. Uh, Ian Acho cancelling out a goal from Fred. And we mentioned at the top of the show, James Madison uh, making it 2-1, but VAR pulling it back because they deemed that uh, Kelechi Ian Acho had impeded Rafael Varane during the play. But if you watch it back, Rafael Varane seemed to lose the ball and 100% pain uh, injury. But hold on. I actually thought it was a clear foul and I missed what? it at first as well. I, but you see him hooking his leg away, right? You know that's what the foul is given. For. So when Varane kind of does the splits, you know that moment I'm talking about. Yeah. The reason he does that is because... Is it an Iheanacho, you say, the, the Leicester player? I believe so. It's because it's because he's kind of hooked his leg away and that's why he's... Now, of course, he, he kind of exaggerates it, Varane, but I, I do honestly think it was a was a foul initially I thought it wasn't but if you look for that hook it is there but anyway that did get my netted off the hook um because this was another poor performance from them they have totally checked out checked out of this season there's just no plan no effort which I I don't want to come across as Roy Keane who puts everything down to effort and commitment but that was one of the most shocking things from this match they just they just don't look like a team that have anything to play for despite the fact that they are in a top four race still and they're a team that desperately need a new manager to come in this summer, which obviously will will happen. But it feels like they are just waiting until the the end of the season, which is is not ideal for them. Yeah, that's yeah, not not really what you need from Manchester United fans. And Marcus Rashford also brought down in the box in the 95th minute in this one, uh, in the interest of balance on that on that penalty decision, uh, not, on that foul decision, I should say. Um, West Ham two, Everton one, six defeats in eight for Frankie Lampard at Everton who are fourth bottom now, but nice away kits, Graham. <laughs> they have nice kits in general this season. I think it's the only good thing about their, their whole season, which has been a car crash until this until this point. They are, they are really bad, Everton. Um, they have no attacking pattern of play. They're vulnerable at the back, which, uh, spoiler alert for a football team, is a bad mix if you're defensively poor and also poor in, in the attack. Injuries are a bit of a problem at the moment as well. Van de Beek pulls up with a, an injury in the in the warm-up. Mason Holgate comes into the team. Then he has an injury as well during the game. Uh, Michael Keane gets sent off. I think that's two games in a row now. Everton have been reduced to 10 men in the Premier League, so they have a discipline problem as well. They're just very lucky, Everton, that Watford, Burnley and Norwich look so poor below them because if just one of those teams was to find a bit of resurgent form... I, I think Everton are in real trouble. I still think they're in real trouble because you wouldn't put it past maybe Burnley getting a couple wins between now and the end of the season. If that happens, maybe Everton are going down. And the, when you couple that with their financial results recently, they've lost more money than any other team over the last year in the Premier League. They're building a new, a new stadium. It's it's pretty concerning for Everton. I've, I've seen uh, people saying that maybe, the, maybe they become the next Leeds United if they go down. And I don't think that is outrageous to suggest that. It's Ooh. pretty perilous for them. That's pretty damning, Graham. Um, one note that I did enjoy from this game when Aaron Crossell scored his excellent opening goal, the free kick. Uh, the cameraman on the sideline holding the steady cam uh, fell over, and you saw it live on the Sky <laughs> Pictures, where like the you know the shot went up to the sky and it went all fuzzy. Um, that was amusing. 
Not sure why. A man fell over. I probably shouldn't find that so amusing. Uh, Tottenham 5, Newcastle 1 also. Spurs in particularly good form here, Graham. Uh, they're firmly... Well, are they in the Champions League race? I suppose they are. They're fourth, but um, yeah. Arsenal behind them. They're playing uh, later on as we record as well. They've got two games in hand as we as we speak. Yep, very impressive from Spurs. Um, since Conte's appointment, only City and Liverpool have won more Premier League points than Spurs, which is somewhat surprising to me. It feels like Conte's Spurs has been a bit of a slow burn until this point, but um, I think one of the this match in particular, one of the conclusions you can draw from it is that with every match that passes, Spurs' January business looks better and better and that's the same January business that Antonio Conte publicly complained about in Italy he wasn't happy with the business that was done in January but Rodrigo Bentancourt is perfect for his midfield he offers a lot on both sides of the ball and then there's Kulosevsky who we've obviously spoken about on on the podcast already he is the ideal foil for Kane and Son gives uh, Spurs another dimension a bit of creativity he fits very well into that team and um, yeah, don't count Spurs out of the top four race just yet, even though I'm pretty sure I did exactly that a few weeks ago. They are sitting in fourth, even though <laughs> Arsenal have two games in hand, so they could leapfrog, leapfrog their North London rivals again. But Spurs are in there. Yeah, it could be interesting. The fight between those two teams for fourth place, potentially, as the weeks unfold. We shall see. Graham, let us turn our attention to Scotland, the old firm derby this weekend as well. First versus second. Uh, Rangers uh, versus Celtic caught the, the old firm derby. Is the title now decided now? Rangers were three points behind at the start of the day. They're now six points behind. A 2-1 win for them and Ramsey getting the scores, uh, getting on the score sheet early. Then Tom mm. Rogic and Cameron Carter-Vickers with the comeback win there, Graham. Um, actually, Joe, I'd like to come to you first. A, a quick 10 minutes on Cameron Carter-Vickers and how amazing he is, please. I mean, Ryan, this is Graham's hill that he's chosen to die on, and I think he's chosen a pretty <laughs> good hill, I, I guess. CCV, after after Graham's been doing CCV propaganda for, I don't know, four months now or whatever, <laughs> I watched all of his, his clips from this game against Rangers, and he was really good. Some really nice moments in possession, a couple of errant passes, but he was composed and was regularly looking for line-breaking passes, which I think is a requirement to play as a centre-back under Postacoglu. I thought he was he was excellent in this game. Then he scores the go-ahead goal for Celtic off of a set piece where the ball just falls to him outside the six-yard box. Not a ton of skill required there, but he looked like a center back that fits what the U.S. is trying to do. Now, I will say, my my one concern that I just, I, I need to watch more myself. I'm not even saying this is necessarily a CCV issue. I don't know how good of a defender he is isolated in space. He didn't have to do much of that in this game. Celtic didn't have much of the ball after they go ahead. Uh, at least I don't believe they did. But I want to see more of that. But at least in terms of the possession stuff, CCV looked very capable in this game and looked like someone who could help the U.S. And who knows? Maybe we'll see him in the Nations League. Maybe we'll see him in those games in in June that the U.S. have coming up in a a few months now. Indeed. Graham, your thoughts on this one? It sounded like there was an absolutely cracking atmosphere at this one. It was on CBS Sports Network, on real big boy cable TV in the States, which was excellent for this game. Um, The downside being uh, some fan trouble uh, as a... I referred to at the top of the show, the second half was delayed when shards of glass were thrown into the goal mouth yeah. uh, by Joe Hart's goal mouth, uh, which is pretty disgusting behaviour. And I also learned in the Guardian match report that late on Saturday night, three Celtic fans were arrested at Ibrox uh, Rangers Stadium for attempting to seal shut the turnstiles with expanding foam. That's a new one on me. But um, <laughs> maybe we don't focus on that and focus on the action on the field. That that is a that is a new one. I actually hadn't read that because, um, to be honest, with old firm games, you just kind of block out the arrests because that is uh, 
it shouldn't be the case, but that is just customary with with these games. the The broken bottle on the pitch was a was a new one um, and pretty disgraceful. I hadn't really seen that before. I don't know how you get a a, a glass bottle into a game like that. That feels like a failing. Not to excuse the fan in any way, but that feels like a failing of the security as well. That that was that was allowed to take place. So a bit embarrassing for Scottish football, particularly with it being on uh, big boy cable in, in the US and with a global audience. It's the one game we kind of have in Scotland that does have that global audience. So for that to be beamed around the world is uh, yeah. Um, Pretty, pretty upsetting to be honest but in terms of the match the first seven minutes were absolutely wild where Rangers take the lead after three minutes Aaron Ramsey scores his inclusion in the team had been a big talking point because until now to be honest Aaron Ramsey has done next to nothing for Rangers he's been injured but then even in the games he's played he's been underwhelming he has a big game player so Ramsey's included from the start and he delivers three minutes in with a, a, a nice finish from a Ryan Kent cross and then Celtic equalise after after seven minutes and that was when Celtic started to take a little bit of the control of the match and just the way they've rebuilt this season this this result probably does give them the title as you say at the top there Ryan they're now six points clear of Rangers I don't think they're going to drop enough points for Rangers to catch them Celtic are unbeaten in 26 league games so I, I just don't see them letting it slip from this point and the way that they have rebuilt this season from a point of despair in August where fans were really really unhappy the Celtic chased uh, Eddie Howe for a long time over the summer they didn't get Eddie Howe they go and get Postacoglu who is someone that Celtic fans uh, and Scottish football fans hadn't really heard of before. Key players like Edward and Christopher Iyer leave and they take ages to sign replacements and Celtic crash out of Champions League qualifying basically because they don't have a team. Um, and so the recruitment since then has been brilliant. And the way Postacoglu has got this team playing has been really, really satisfying. I'm not a Celtic fan, but it's been very satisfying seeing Postacoglu shut up all those fools who wrote him off purely because... He's Australian and they hadn't heard of him before. And that's the sort of ignorance, unfortunately, we still have in Scottish football towards anyone who's not part of the old boys club. He, as I say, he wasn't Celtic's first choice. They wanted uh, Eddie Howe, but I struggle to believe that Eddie Howe would have done a better job than Postacoglu. Yeah. He's been truly transformational. Last season, Celtic were a low energy team. Neil Lennon was an old fashioned coach. He liked wingers to be wingers and strikers to be strikers, and there wasn't much fluidity throughout the team. Now Celtic are relentless in their high pressing, they're very energetic, they're very good in the ball, and they're very fluid. And forwards are sometimes midfielders, and wingers are sometimes forwards, and there's just so much interchangeability. And it's been fascinating to watch them, and it's kind of opened minds in Scottish football, um, not to be. Uh, too hyperbolic about it but it's kind of open minds in Scottish football to there's a whole world of soccer out there you know you go mm -hmm. and get a coach from Japan and play this entertaining brand of football and uh, recruit players from Japan and from all over the world and maybe this is the sort of thing you can you can build rather than just going to the lower leagues in England which tends to be the way that Scottish clubs are operated so um, yeah I, I'm personally pleased to see Postcoglu do well in Scotland and this was a, a match that kind of confirm the progress that he's made here yeah Celtic being enlightened Graham it sounds like maybe uh, a little bit a bit more enlightened than the Rangers fans throwing glass shards Indeed. on the field shall we say uh, let's quickly round up the other action on the continent from La Liga Real Madrid 2 Celta Vigo 1 uh Karim Benzema, he's back, baby. Scored two penalties for the win here. Opened up a 12-point win for Real on Saturday. Atletico Madrid 4, bottom-placed Alavés 1. Atletico are on a six-game winning streak here. And Barcelona 1, Sevilla 0. Second versus third in this one. Joe, did you see Pedri's goal? Oh, my oh goodness. My. 
Oh, my gosh. One of the best goals I've seen in a long time. He receives the ball on the outside of the of the top of the box. He receives on his right, cuts past one defender, fake shoots his way past another defender, and then scores with his right foot to the far post from distance. It's it's an absurd goal from an absurdly talented player. Xavi's Barcelona continue to get results, and they continue to play good soccer. This is a really fun team right now, and Pedri is is one of the most fun parts of that fun team. He is indeed. Barcelona unbeaten in their last 14 league games. The longest unbeaten run in any of Europe's top five leagues, says Goal on Twitter. Impressive stuff from Barca. Uh, in the Bundesliga, Leipzig handed Bayern the title, most probably. Dortmund won, <laughs> RB Leipzig four. Uh, Conrad Lehmann scoring twice and setting up a third goal. Danny Olmo, uh, the, the goal for 4-1 was a long-range banger as well. Graham, did you catch this one? I did. And uh, Leipzig were... Very, very impressive. I think the turnaround that they've had under Tedesco has been uh, remarkable. And if there's a team that's going to challenge Bayern Munich for the title next season, it looks like being Leipzig and, and, and not Dortmund. On the flip side of things, what a weird season for Borussia Dortmund mm-hmm. this has been. They have suffered a few catastrophic results this season. They had a similarly bad result at home to Bayer Leverkusen. Then there was the game against Rangers, of course, in the Europa League where they're dumped out of, of, of that tournament. And yet somehow they stay in the Bundesliga title race through Bayern Munich slipping up a, a number of times. But they can't uh, capitalise on that opportunity either. And as you say, that is probably the title gone for them. I never felt like the title race was really on, even though the gap got down to, I think, about six points. Um, might have even been three points at one time if Dortmund had won a game in hand. But you do fear a little bit for Marco Rosa and, and his job coming to the end of the season. There were some quotes from Mats Hummels, which were concerning, you would say, if you were a Borussia Dortmund fan. He said, it's noticeable that we always become a bit of, I don't know if I want to use the word, headless chickens tactically. We no longer stay in our positions and then it becomes a wild game of football. That doesn't feel like Dortmund are a a very well-coached team and it doesn't feel like those players on the pitch know exactly what the rules are under Rosa. That's not great, is it? That's not great to hear. Um, But it was great to hear that it was the first capacity crowd at Dortmund in more than two years. 81,000 fans saw their team suck against Leipzig in this one. Uh, Another form result for Bayern. Bayern Munich for Freiburg won. Uh, Bayern actually had 12 men on the field for nearly 10 seconds of this game. Uh, Kingsley Coman was coming off, but uh, the fourth official didn't display his number on his board. It displayed 29 instead. Bayern don't have a 29, so Coman stayed on until Julian Nagelsmann (laughs) spotted it, apparently. Uh, Freiburg not playing to appeal, Graham. No, I feel like Bayern Munich had 12 men on the pitch in the Bundesliga for nine years, to be honest. Oh, is that a referee thing or are you, are you just saying they're No, just, they've just been that dominant in the Bundesliga that <laughs> Fair enough. it feels like they've been playing with 12 men. Uh, quick so trip to They France. finally got caught. Indeed, indeed. Uh, in France, PSG 5, Lorient 1. Back to winning ways of PSG with Mbappe, Neymar and Messi all doing a goal, Graham. Or at least one. And, that, and that's the, the first time this season as PSG players that Neymar, Messi and Mbappe have all scored in the same game for PSG. And this match got me thinking, honestly there, Ryan, I didn't d- I mean to be rude if I'd cut in there when you said back to winning ways. I almost felt like uh, interrupting and saying, like, who cares with PSG at the moment? Because their season is over and that get that makes me think about how, how much of a waste this season has been for PSG mm. and how these games with Neymar and Messi and, and Mbappe all scoring, they should have been much watch, must-watch events this season. The Parc de France uh, for this game is half full. 
everyone on my timeline when this game is being played are, is watching something else. I think it was on the same time as, as Barcelona and then the Derby d'Italia as well. That This is not the way it was meant to be. Like, it's, it's very weird that these three generational talents, arguably three of the best players in the world, are playing for the same team. They're scoring five goals in one game and, like, barely anyone cares at the moment. So, pretty... Uh, I think that's a, a pretty uh, big condemnation of, of how PSG are being run at the moment. Oh, boy. Uh, last but not least on the pot today, MLS Roundup with Joseph Lowry. Joe, Philadelphia, top of the East with a 2-0 home win over the mighty Charlotte FC. Um, the second goal here was, a, you know, a, a consequence of the way Charlotte played. Mm. Ever so slight giveaway in the back, got pressed a little too hard. It was, and I I just tweeted something about how Kalina was dominating as much as I guess you can in this game for Charlotte. He was, he was playing some beautiful passes out from the back. He was really carving Philadelphia up in their 4-4-2 diamond shape. And then he gives the ball right away. And, and Daniel Gazdag scores that goal. Or excuse me. It's yeah, yeah, it is Daniel Gazdag for that second one for Philly who continue to win games playing exactly how they want to play. They're in this 4-4-2 diamond. They'll press. Um, they, they're, they're aggressive high up the field and they're vertical in transition. They're just vertical in, in general. And that's how they get their first goal with a nice ball over the top from Kai Wagner. And then it's, uh, it's Carranza who scores his first goal for Philly. They're top of the East, Ryan, as you say, tied for a top in the Supporters' Shield rankings just behind LAFC on goal difference. LAFC got a 4-2 win over Orlando City away. Really impressive start for LAFC under Steve Cherundolo. I don't know that LAFC were were dominant in this game. The 4-2 scoreline, I think, implies a bit more dominance than there probably was. But the attacking talent did the job in this game. Brian Rodriguez uh, scores that first goal for LAFC, crashing at the back post. Carlos Vela was involved. Uh, Chicho Arango gets his second start of the season for LAFC. Certainly a good win for them. And then the last game I wanted to highlight here was the pure uh, pandemonium, I guess, in Cincinnati in their game versus Montreal. A seven-goal game, a 4-3 win in Cincinnati for Montreal. A, a really deserved and needed win for them after the start of the season they've had. They'd yet to win a game in MLS. They had one draw previously. And this is still, I believe, a good team under Wilfred Nance. Georgi Mihailovic came out in Bost this game in midfield and in the attacking line. He's another one that I would love to see in Nations League. I don't think we'll see a ton of experimentation for Peralter. I think we'll see a lot of the same guys, and understandably so. But Mihailovic is, is really high up on my list of players that I'd love to see involved that haven't been involved with this U.S. group in quite some time. He was excellent in Cincinnati for their part. Again, another competitive performance from them. Not the best defensively. They made some errors and some lapses. That's how you end up giving four goals up. But, I mean, they've got six points through six games. It's not great. They're not inside the, the top seven in the East right now. But still, the fact that they're in games against, I, I still think, a very good team in Montreal, the fact that they've won a couple of games already, they have an away win, that's a good sign for them. And I'm going to keep banging this drum. Pat Noonan and Chris Albright, I think, are doing some really good things in Cincinnati. And, and the players on the field aren't half bad either. Cough, cough, Brandon Vasquez. Again, Nations League shout. <laughs> um, a couple of games I wanted to chat to you about, Joe. New England nil, Rebels won the fourth loss in a row for New England in all competitions, I should say. My eyebrow is slightly Ancelotti-ing in the direction of New England at the moment. I don't, I don't blame you. I mean, this is a team last year in New England that set the MLS points record Weirdly, I don't really know how good they are, right? I think they had some some strong weaknesses. That's a, a really poorly phrased thing for me. <laughs> they were they were weak in certain areas last year, um, and, and we're seeing those again this year, right? No Matt Turner in goal, which is huge for them on top of those things. Tejan Buchanan is gone in this game against the Red Bulls. Bo and Buxa don't start. Buxa comes off the bench and then gets a red card for kicking out at the end of this game. 
there's real issues here for Bruce Arena, and I'm not entirely sure that those issues are going to be fixed. Overall, I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to be a playoff team. You don't really end up with Carles Hill and Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo and Matt Polster and, and not make the playoffs, but especially considering that they're going to lose Matt Turner midseason to Arsenal, this is this is not good for New England. They needed to get off to a strong start of the season to give themselves some cushion when Turner left. They haven't done that, and they haven't looked all that good pretty much all season. And the other game I wanted to mention, Joe, into Miami, who are bottom of the East at the moment. <laughs> a 3-1 loss at home to Houston. Uh, there were thunderstorms delaying this one. I don't know, Joe, if you're familiar with the concept of pathetic fallacy. It comes in, um, in, in literature when the weather foreshadows the mood of the scene. Just saying. Mm, mm, it, does, it does feel quite accurate. I, I really don't know what to say about Inter-Miami at this point. Houston, also not one of the better teams in MLS, and, and they create a decent amount on the counterattack. Miami just can't get it together. They don't have enough talent. They're not really well-coached or well-drilled with the ball. They're not all that strong without the ball either. This is a, a bad team, for my money, the worst team in MLS, and the record agrees with me. They are they're terrible, and I, I honestly don't know if Phil Neville is going to make it the rest of the season. I don't know how much of this is necessarily his fault. I, I think they could be better coached, but really the talent is a is a pretty big issue here. Chris Henderson is starting to work his magic, and I think they've made some good moves, but they put themselves behind the eight ball with the sanctions. They put themselves behind the eight ball with some of the initial roster moves that they made. I don't have anything good to say about Inter Miami, but I will say congrats to Houston for getting that win. They are are in a decent spot right now in the Western Conference, eight points through five games under Paulo Nagamura. It's it's a a pretty decent start for them. It is. I am interested in seeing which of uh, David Beckham's pals are the next as the next Inter Miami <laughs> head coach. Tom Cruise, uh, James Corden, oh. yeah, probably better than Phil Neville to be honest. Both of those guys. <laughs> I think Gordon Ramsay could do a job. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, yeah he fancies. I feel like Gordon Ramsay might be who uh, Inter Miami needs right now in 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 attack. No, I mean, they, well, they need yeah, Messi. that too. But also just the motivational messages of him calling people idiot sandwiches at halftime. Oh boy! And on that note, why don't we end this weekend review? Thank you very much, Graham Rudson, for all your contributions on this here show. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joseph Lowry, a pleasure as always, good sir. Right back at you, Ryan. And Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much. Wherever you are watching, Will Ferrell nod his head to the side in time with the beat. Uh, Thank you very much, listener. We'll be back with another one on the feed soon. But for now, bye. Bye.